Good morning. Good to be with you all. Love that you love greeting one another. Uh, sit down. <laughs> Just <laughs> love that you all love saying hi. Uh, good morning. Well, if you're new, visiting, really glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Mike, uh, one of the pastors here. And just, just thrilled that you're here gathering with us. So in case you're wondering what you're witnessing, it's just a worship service. We worship Jesus Christ, who we believe was God and did come and, and live the perfectly obedient life for us that we could not live uh, apart from his work. And uh, that he died the de- and paid the debt for us and rose, uh, giving us forgiveness of sin and everlasting life to all who would trust in his name. And so we're, we're grateful that we get to be uh, witnesses of that and then declarers of that. And so uh, what you're seeing right here is we get to uh, basically worship through singing. That's why we sing songs that, that talk about what Jesus has done and, and his personal work. We also worship by uh, sitting under preaching of God's word. I always say that we uh, love that God is perfect in all that he does and he has a perfect word laid before us with imperfect men that through the miracle of grace in preaching, he allows to communicate what he wants to say. And so we always ask that God would help us to hold fast to what is true and and to not hold fast to what would be uh, potentially false. Uh, We also worship by observing the supper each week uh, because we want to remember in all things that we do the centrality of Jesus Christ. It's his broken body, his shed blood uh, that that nourishes us and and reminds us of all of who we are as the people of God. And so uh, we have nothing else that's greater to celebrate, greater to stand on, greater to worship other than his great amazing amazing work uh, and what he did in dying and rising and reconciling us back to the Father. So we don't believe this table in any way imputes righteousness to you or, or makes you uh, have greater favor uh, with God. It's simply a nourishing gift that he gives the church to take uh, when it gathers. We also are generous because God has been most generous in giving us his son, and so we give on the silver boxes on the back wall. And uh, many of you guys give online too. And I always say, if you're just uh, a re- not a regular attender or a member, we're not interested in funds. We want you to know this Jesus Christ and worship, love, follow, and adore him uh, and live life to the full. So um, before we jump into Galatians chapter 2, have one uh, brief announcement. Um, this Wednesday is going to be corporate prayer. We gather for corporate prayer the last Wednesday of every month. We also gather at 815 in the classroom across from the cafe uh, each Sunday. And just been so encouraged that God just growing uh, your hearts in a desire for this. It's, it's our hope that we We'd always remember that no matter what we do, no matter how good the sermons are, or uh, no matter how many people come, or no matter uh, even if the songs are just right, that nothing can happen apart from the working of the Holy Spirit of God. So we must go to him and bleed with him to move, act, shape, and form us in all of this being kindling, praying that he would light this whole deal. And so um, what I'm excited for is in this new rhythm we have uh, even our groups gathering with us for corporate prayer. Uh, we're trying to centralize this to where we're able to more effectively see and know and be taught in this. So here, let me, let me encourage you in a couple things. One is, um, Paul says in Romans that he, to labor with him in prayer. Uh, what that means is, if you're in this place going, man, I don't really want to show up to prayer, uh, you're in good company. There's, there's something in you that needs labor. Uh, even Paul himself said, I have, to, I have to grow in this. So this is not something we will ever arrive at. This is something that takes constant work, constant labor, constant pleading. So no elders have arrived in their prayer life or their need for this. We're all saying together, let's, let's labor in this way. Let's work towards seeing God be given glory and us being more fully dependent on his name as we do that. So even if you're not in a group, I encourage you to gather. It'll just be 7.30 to 8.30 where we can plead before him and ask God to even grow our hearts in this. Uh, in areas that we don't currently have it. So um, with that, why don't we go and, and seek his face and ask him to work. If you don't mind just shutting those doors out when you get a chance over the side, that'd be great. Let's pray, bow our heads, ask God to, to do something, uh, to move in your life. Some of you walk in here with other thoughts, other distractions, uh, maybe other uh, things that are, that are burning you, causing you anxiety. Um, ask the Holy Spirit of God to, to speak clearly to you, for you to be able to hear him, to remove distraction to remove any hindrances or stumbling blocks. Scriptures say that he gives us ears to hear and eyes to see. Um, Might be some of us that are heavy laden. He says that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. So you might not be wearing his yoke. You might not be leaning into Jesus and all that he can be for you. Father, help us where we need help this morning. In a room this size, there's bound to be uh, a thousand and one different types of backgrounds, issues, challenges, thoughts, experiences. God, center us around your word. 
Thank you that we get to gather around the truth of what you've said and what you want to proclaim to us as your people and help us to be more fully formed into the image of the Son because we were together this morning. Help us to understand things that we did not understand before, to see things that we did not see before. Illuminate us through the work of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Galatians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the back. I always say you can grab one. Thrilled that you guys are taking those uh, and using those. And um, normally what we do is just take books of the Bible and just kind of plow through them. We, we do this because we primarily want us as a church to realize that our, our diet of preaching is going to be looking at what the Scriptures say because texts build upon texts. Uh, what you want to be careful of is growing up in that world where you just simply grab text, make it say what you want it to say, and then kind of form your theology around it. We want to see what the Bible says and let it speak for itself and let us order ourselves around that. So um, this you'll find, the more you read the scriptures, more reads you than you read it. Okay, so, so you might be diving into it to try to find some little truths out or some help in life, but it's really reading you, reading your heart, exposing where uh, you have faults and failures and have a deeper need for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the center of the scriptures. It's what the whole story revolves around. So no matter what book we're in, we're going to show you how that happens, and we want you to be a good learner in Bible study by walking through books of the Bible in this way. And so we're in Galatians 2. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, and if you missed the last two weeks, he's a guy who had an amazing conversion. God saved him on the road to Damascus. He was someone who aggressively opposed the people of Jesus Christ and is now speaking and preaching for the people of Jesus Christ. We learned last week that the faith he once tried to destroy is the faith that he now lives by and preaches from. And so um, this, this guy, Paul, planted churches. He started uh, preaching this good news. People were coming to know Jesus Christ and they were being filled with the Holy Spirit and they were being sent to uh, be put on mission to be lights around this world to show that Genesis 3 created fracture and the reconciliation that happened could be mended in Jesus Christ. And so he is emphatic that we get this gospel of Jesus Christ right. And so he writes back to these group of churches in Galatia, modern day Turkey, and he's basically saying, hey, you've been deserting this gospel. You've been veering from this gospel. He's emphatic that you would get it. Now, the reason he's contending this is because there's only one gospel, all right, and, and it, you can either add to that gospel or you can subtract to that gospel. Now, many people say, well, I've heard this gospel and it's something that I believed in or something that I kind of set a chant for when I was 9 or 15, and so that's when I kind of needed it, and now I'll move on to greater things. Paul's going to remind us there is nothing greater, nothing more beautiful, nothing more profound than the work of Jesus Christ, and it's the very thing you need to keep in the forefront of your minds if you're going to even grow as a saint of Jesus Christ, okay? So, so this is not something that we as a church even say, hey, that's a cute idea, that's a good cause, we'll proclaim that, believe in that, and then move on to something else. Because what happens is, Jesus starts at the top of the pyramid, which all other things flow, and you start replacing other things above him, and the whole thing falls to shambles. So, we want Jesus to be central, Jesus to be high, Jesus to be fixed, so that all that we do flows underneath him and his work. And this is what Paul's about. This is what Paul is emphatic about contending for, that you would know this gospel and walk according to this gospel. Now, um, just in case this is new to you, um, the gospel of Jesus Christ very simply is you making anything ultimate over God. So this is God creates out of love, delight, and joy. He creates humanity, creates the world, and it's so that we would worship him and be found in him, right? That's where your joy should be, your worship should be, your adoration should be, and we sinned, we all belittled his glory, we all wanted to be uh, gods of our own lives, we all took other things that he made instead of him him and use those as our functional saviors. We put our joy, we put our identity, we put our worth in everything but him. And so Jesus comes and sees the issue, sees the fracture, sees the problem, and he lives a perfectly obedient life in our place for our sins, dies and pays a debt and gives you his wrath-absorbing death so you don't have to absorb the wrath of God towards you in your sin. He takes it finally and fully for you. He rises showing he is God. He did pay the debt in full. And all who would trust in his name through grace alone and faith alone by no works, no merits, no rights, no rituals, it's all him. He gets all the glory. You become an adopted son and daughter of God. And here's what's awesome about the good news. You and I are so incredibly passive in the whole thing. 
like totally passive. Like, like you didn't wake up one morning going, man, I can't wait to be in his kingdom and, and be used by him. And he actually allowed you to understand his good work and mercy. You in your sin, in your rebellion, the scriptures say, he went after you, he pursued you, which makes grace all the more staggering. So we learned last week that grace pursues us. Grace goes after us so that no one can boast but in Christ and Christ alone. Right, so we're a church that elevates him and exalts him because we have nothing else to boast in in even the salvation we've been given in this great gospel work. And Paul goes on and plants churches proclaiming this good truth. But here's what started happening. They started veering. And these false teachers started creeping in going, hey, it's great you have Jesus in your scriptures, but we need to add dietary laws and circumcision and traditions and culture. And Paul's coming in saying, uh, no, it's all about Jesus and his grace. This is the message I've been teaching. This is the message that's been transforming communities and families and neighborhoods. And so within this gospel this morning, he's going to deal with this issue of freedom, this issue of freedom, um, that grace frees us. And it's going to be a theme you're actually going to see through the whole book of Galatians. He's going to kind of begin to open it up here. We'll get into it more detail uh, later, but it's this issue of freedom. And I was thinking this morning about how the reason it can be so hard for us um, to understand what he's going to say or even understand the gospel of grace is because we all have issues. <laughs> Did you know that? Like, you have an issue. Like, you have issues. Like, I, I don't need to tell you that. Like, we're one big, goofy, beautiful mess. Like, that's who we are, saved by God, being pruned and refined, more in the image of the sun. But all of us walk in this room with issues, backgrounds. Uh, preconceived understandings, things we've been taught, uh, maybe some brutal family environments. So, so here, here's what it's like. You ever worn someone else's uh, glasses that weren't your prescription? You ever done that? You're like, whoa, man, you are blind. You know what I mean? You ever, you ever done that? My wife, love her. Uh, she is like legally blind without her glasses or her uh, contacts. So like she, she sometimes just for fun will be like, hey, babe, you want to see how I see the world? Uh, when I don't have it on. So me putting them on is how she can see without her glasses. And I'm like, wow, it's so foggy. It's not, it's not quite there. And, and here's, here's what happens is um, every time the scriptures get unpacked for you, every time the character of God is, is celebrated and shared, you've got this distorted view. You're not wearing the right prescription lens. Right? Some of you guys grew up in, in brutal home environments. Man, I've sat with you. I mean, so to even the, the thought of, of, of a God that doesn't even operate on a performance treadmill is foreign to you, right? So your, your default is always to do. Um, others of you, man, you've been taught things in other churches or other places or other people you thought were pastors or teachers that were untrue or false, or you're trying to like whittle through. And what Paul's trying to do is get you to wear the right prescription because some of us have a really damaged prescription. Some of us have one that's almost right, but never perfect. He wants you to wear the glasses that the Holy Spirit wants you to wear that show you grace in its purest form in its most celebrated form. I mean, he wants you to walk with confidence, right, in the grace that purchased you into the family of God. That's what he's trying to do. So I'm, I'm going to pray that God helps us with those things. Because the truth is, man, sometimes you'll hear a truth, but no matter how hard you try, man, you have to, like, deal with something else, right? Like, something else is there. Something else is trying to teach you. Something else is trying to undo what God does. So we need, we need this Holy Spirit evermore to help us to see what is true and to walk in what is true. So chapter 2, verse 1, here's what Paul begins to say as he tries to give us a grace-filled lens, glasses that, that see the gospel clearly and understand what Christ has done clearly. It says this in verse 1, Then after 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, Taking Titus along with me, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. <laughs> So let me catch up to speed so you can fully kind of engage in this text. For after Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus, right, he, is, he meets the risen Christ. Christ says, I'm going to save you. There's nothing you can do about it. When Jesus says, I'm going to save you, he saves you. And he, he basically says, hey, you're going to be an ambassador for my name. You're going to suffer for my sake. You're going to preach this great glorious news of the gospel that you once tried to destroy. And what happens is he spent 14 years 
preaching and teaching this good message of grace, grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. He's seeing people get transformed. He's seeing evidence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. He's, he's thrilled this is happening, and he's witnessing all of this. He's seeing evidence, but all the while there was this minority of the Jews who had a really large, pro, loud problem with his teaching. Now, that's how it always is, right? There's a small minority that has a really loud problem, right? So, so they have this issue with his teaching. They're going, well, well, it's great that you have Jesus' scriptures, but you need the traditions. You need the circumcision. You need the dietary laws you need. And Paul's going, hold on a second. What people have issue with my teaching that was given me from Jesus himself. Like, like God himself revealed this to me and told me how it is one is forgiven of sin and given grace in the gospel. And so this is what he's up against. So you'll see, you can read Acts 15. He's going to go do something about it. He's, gonna, he's compelled by the Spirit to go talk to the apostles and make sure there's agreement, right? Make sure what he's teaching is, is true and accurate and according to Jesus and the Scriptures. But before that, listen, everything he's talking about here is cultural. He's getting into culture here. Because really, circumcision was part of the traditional Hebrew-Jewish culture. And what it basically was, was in the Old Testament, um, all men would need to be circumcised if they wanted to be a part of the covenant people of God. It was like uh, a team jersey. You're identifying, right? It's just, I'm on the, the true God's team. I'm part of his people. It was never meant to be a work that you did that gave you salvation. It was an aligning with him. It was just an identification. This is why you'll see repeatedly in the New Testament, Christ comes to give you a circumcision of the heart, right? All those things were shadows to show you need a real circumcision of the heart, which is the gospel invading your life, making you new, giving you a new heart. Okay, so that, that was the point of all of that. And you'll see even as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob kind of comes forth, that more people do this. this. This goes all the way to the time of Jesus. Now, some of you guys are going, well, how come they were circumcised in the Old Testament, and why do we not need to be today? Jesus. Jesus. Matthew 5 is really clear that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. Man, we don't need circumcision because Jesus circumcised our hearts. We don't need a mediator, a priest to go in and atone for sacrifices and bring slaughtered bloody bulls and goats because Jesus was our bloody bull and goat that was spotless and blameless and sacrificed for us for our sin. And he's now our priest, so we got direct access to God. So we don't need a temple. We don't need a sacrifice. We don't need a priest. We don't need circumcision because Jesus is our circumcision. Jesus is our priest. Jesus is our sacrifice. Jesus is our temple. Jesus is our mediator. Jesus is everything. That's why don't add anything to Jesus or you take away everything. That's why he's getting at him here. This is why he's so perplexed. This is what he's contending for because he goes, man, I don't like what they're trying to add to the personal work of Jesus Christ. And salvation is through grace alone and faith alone, and no, nothing can add to his work. Nothing. And this is why Jesus didn't come to abolish the Scripture. He didn't contradict the Scripture. He fulfilled every jot and tittle, it says. Jesus is the great fulfillment. So, so here's now, knowing all that, what Paul's thinking here. <laughs> Paul's going, man, I'm here preaching and teaching this true message of grace alone through faith alone, and people got issue with my teaching and preaching? There's controversy over this? So he goes to the apostles, right? Peter, James, John, and the rest, they're all Jews. They're in Jerusalem. And he goes and meets with them, and he's smart. He brings Barnabas, who's a Jew, who's been converted to Christianity. And he brings Titus, who is a Gentile, bacon-loving, pork-roll-eating, uncircumcised, Jesus-loving guy. Right? That's who he brings. So he brings these two. He's going, man, okay, there's evidence of the Holy Spirit in both. The gospel's fallen on both. Both of them are saved. Hey, can you check me out? Can you see if what I'm teaching is wrong? Did I, did I run in vain? Have I veered off the path? Am I not teaching the true, pure gospel of grace? And what's awesome is you can read this in Acts 15. I love this because it's so what happens today. The whole council gets together and goes, I don't know, is it okay for God to do that? Like, can he save him? Can he save him? Can he save him without this, right? Isn't that what we do? I don't know. Can God really save her, him? He looks like, she looks like, where they're from, right? I mean, is that not the unbelievably scandalous, beautiful news of the gospel that tribe, tongue, race, origin, culture crosses every single line and invades it with one singular, true, pure, you're in. Because of Christ, not what you look like, not where you came from, not your laws, traditions, it's Jesus. And everything flows from there. So, so he goes to these, these apostles and he goes, hey, uh, here's what I did. I preached about grace. I preached about the centrality of Christ. I preached about uh, faith alone and Christ alone. And hey, here are two guys that are evidence of it. Take a look at Barnabas. 
Take a look at Titus. They both have evidence. It was, it was all an issue of the testimony of the Holy Spirit, if you read Acts 15. That's, that's what it was. It wasn't about are you Jew or Greek. It was, is the Holy Spirit in them? And the apostles are like, wow, man, that's amazing. I mean, both are Christians. Both are Holy Spirit-filled. Both people clearly have been saved by God in Christ. So, and that, that's what happens here is, is they realize, wow, it really is all about Jesus. It's not all about following the law and traditions and dietary things. And I realize that Jesus did fulfill all of this. And so Paul's arguing from this issue of Titus, it doesn't matter. Circumcision, non-circumcision, robes, no robes, drums, no drums, hymnals, no hymnals, liturgies, no liturgies. The issue is the centrality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can work out secondary issues, but the message better be the same. Context and cultural, it'll change the form. But don't veer from the truth of this message. Don't get off track here. And he's showing them how culturally they were making cultural things higher than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were making their preferences a prejudice. And he was saying that's going to wreak havoc on the church of Jesus Christ. Um, just one side note. I love, I don't know if you see it in there, but I love the humility of Paul. Now, if I could just, just encourage the young men and women in this room. And if by young, I mean like under 80. So, so just, I think that's all of us, right? So, so if you're young, right, in this room, and get around older men and women to be humble and say, man, am I off? Am I veering? Am I running in vain? Open yourself up. Receive it. Say, man, I'm going to go seek the Lord on that. I, I, need to, I need to know where I'm off. Because, man, if there's anyone who quite possibly didn't need to go check himself, it's Paul. Right? I mean, I don't know. Jesus showed up on the road to Damascus, struck me blind, saved me, said, hey, you're going to go preach this message. Then he discipled me. And he, he's revealing revelation. I got this from God himself. And yet the integrity of Paul to still even go to other godly brothers and say, hey, guys, am I running in vain? Am I off on this? Is, this? is this in line with the scriptures and with Jesus? And we could learn a lot from that. It's a whole other sermon. But man, grow that in you. No matter what age you are, be humble enough to say, am I, am I off somewhere? Am I seeing this wrong? We want to be a humble, meek people. Verse 4, he's going to explain what happened when he, the reasons he went up to Jerusalem to meet. Verse 4. He says, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in. Just, just stop there for a second. You know where just the dumb issues in church come in? <laughs> it's, it's always from the outside. People from the outside who, who, who have this idea or this agenda or this cause. Because he says this, this idea of these false brothers secretly brought in. It's, it's usually from the people outside bringing them in. Here's, here's the thing. The people in Galatia, you know, they weren't fighting over circumcision. You know that? The secondary issue. Like, they weren't having issues, and all of a sudden, these false brothers are coming in, making that the paramount thing. You ever seen that, where churches just split over silliness? Like music and carpet colors. Someone comes in and goes, hey, everybody, let's divide the room in half. You want this or you want this, and let's go to war over it. And there's division, and there's dissension, and there's havoc. Man, Paul have no place for that. He's going, man, you, you hold on. You're, because of those things, you're actually making those things above and beyond the centrality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, which I call the first importance. So here are these guys coming in, and they're, they're taking these issues, and they're splitting up the churches that have nothing to do with the gospel and everything to do with the form, the culture. And it's a warning. See, they're coming in. This is what it's causing. Their commitment wasn't to Jesus. Their commitment was ultimately to something else. And they were trying to use Jesus as a means to their end. And look what he says about them. He says, Who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. That's serious. That's weighty. That's strong language. They slipped in to ultimately make them slaves to them, not to Jesus. That's why I said, listen to preaching. Listen to teaching. Is it making much of them or making much of Christ? Does it speak to their thing they're doing ultimately or the name and renown of Christ moving forward across the globe? Like, what's, what's, the, what's behind it all? 
What's the message that's being stewarded and spoken and encouraged? And I mean intentionally. There's times where people just say things. But as a, a continuum of diet of what you hear, what do you hear from them? Because he says here, man, there were these false people who actually came in on church to spy on them. They're going, oh, wait, they're Christians? They're not holding dietary laws. They're not following our traditions and our customs and our culture. Wait, wait, wait. I don't like that they're free. I don't like that they just have Jesus. I mean, here's what's amazing. You know, this is why the cults are so frustrated if you ever have a conversation with them when they hear about your freedom in Christ. And this is the big distinction. You know, there's not a bit of what we do because we have to. We do it because we get to. Right, so, so all of the cults say, well, man, if you're going to get, you know, 70 virgins in heaven, if you're going to get a level of glory, if you're going to get these things, then you better be on your mat, better take this trip, better do these, this certain thing, this, this data here, this diet here, this thing. This. It's all a matter of they have to do these things when grace says, man, nothing puts you in this place, and now grace makes you eager to actually get to do all the things God asks of you. Because it leads you into life. It gives you joy to the full. You're transformed. You're made new. We don't do anything because we have to. I'm not saying you don't. I'm saying that's what the Christian faith is. Man, grace sets you free. It sets you free to chase Jesus. It sets you free to pursue joy, peace, love, holiness. It sets you free to actually put your sin to death. You're actually now eager to do it. It's not a, oh man, I gotta follow these things. It's, I get to now. I have the Holy Spirit of God empowering me now to live this way. It's a totally different shift of the mind. And this is why grace is so important. This is what Paul is getting at. This is why Paul is so emphatic. Because misery loves company. And these people were seeing that they didn't have freedom, that they had to do these things to, to stay in the family of God. And they're going, no, no, Jesus does that. He liberates you. That's slavery. Isn't that the irony of sin? I have to have my alcohol. I have to have this addiction. I have to have this thing. I have to sleep around to find fulfillment. I have to, I have to, I have to, to somehow appease some appetite when Christ resolves your appetite, and then you're actually unleashed with no chains. It's so funny when people say, oh, you have all these regulations and commands, and dude, those commands aren't burdensome, John reminds us. Like, I'm not following those commands because I have to. I get to. Man, I can't wait to walk in greater purity. And I can't wait to see more of the glory of Christ. I can't wait to find more sin to put to death through the power of the gospel. I'm, I'm actually eager for that. And that, that's what Paul is showing, this, this irony of freedom. That's not free, that's slavery. Don't let them pull you back into that. They have to do those things. They have to be a part of the system. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can see this play out with people who say, I'm holy, therefore everything should look this way here, right? And our preferences quickly become prejudices and we forget what we're primarily standing on. And Paul's just saying, be careful. Do you see how emphatic it is? Because these people's preferences and culture became the main thing. Above Christ, above the gospel. He's saying, man, I'm, I'm warning you. Do not let that happen. It's not how God ordered it. He goes, don't even give them ground for a moment. Why? Because you'll get off track. See, so many people say, I, I don't really understand why this Jesus plus is really a big deal. I mean, it's just me just trying to be a little better, a little nicer. It's everything. It's everything. Man, it's your eternity. Man, it's your, it's your growing in sanctification. It's how you understand sin and holiness. It's how you understand, how you listen to the preaching. It's how you gather uh, with the people of God. I, I bet that I did not have to persuade a single person in this room who understands the grace and the gospel to be here. I know that. Like, I didn't have to go, okay, guys, man, you better show up on Sunday. Better get here. You better fight your sin this week. You better, man, you don't have to persuade a blood-bought citizen of the kingdom. You can encourage, you can exhort, but you don't have to persuade them. There is at least a percentage in them because the Holy Spirit testifies to that, that there's eagerness, there's wanting for me to run the race because I see it as life and beauty and glory and freedom. The non-Christian cannot see that. They're still enslaved, ironically, to their own appetites and wants and desires. And Paul's saying, don't get off track. Don't add anything to Jesus. Don't even think that you growing in holiness is somehow adding to his work. That's just you getting to do that. 
because he empowers you. In verse 6, he's talking about these apostles he met with. He even further kind of narrows down his importance for the truth. He says, and from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. He's talking about how I, I went before the apostles. I shared with them what I preached and taught. There was evidence of, of people coming to faith in Christ, and they didn't add anything. So this is from God, and it's according to Jesus in the scriptures. But you know what I love here? I love how he says, I know how good you think those apostles are. What they are doesn't matter to me. <laughs> I love that. It's the truth that matters to Paul. It's very important. This is why it's so important you stay tethered to your Bible and not just the charisma of some man. Very important. Just social media today. Like, man, people can win you over. Just because they talk loud does not mean they're truthful. Just because they seem important doesn't mean they are. Paul's going, I mean, I know that you think they're awesome, but what matters is the truth. Oh, they speak the truth? Okay, I'm with them. We're in agreement. He's saying, be very, very careful in how you listen to people. Don't listen to everyone. Just because someone claims to be a pastor doesn't mean they're teaching the truth. Doesn't even mean they should be one. You need to be able to go back and go, oh, I don't know. Okay, was what he's saying the truth? I mean, are we good Bereans? Acts 17? Okay, yeah, that's, that's truthful from here. I'm not talking about in just unnecessary, you know, ways. I'm talking about just meaningful ways. Where you're aware, where you're protecting the flock, where you want to veer from this gospel. I love it. Galatians 1, man, he's talking to the church, not the elders. Saying, you guys need to be good listeners. You need to be aware of this. That the truth is preserved, that the gospel is going forth, that it's grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. You know, it's like, I was thinking, it's like you go to a, you go to a basketball game. And uh, we're all up in the nosebleeds because we're all poor, but, but they're those really nice guys that are on the, on the floor, right? They have the floor seats. They're like sitting next to the team. And you know what's so interesting to me about those guys? No one in the nosebleeds is going, foul! You know, like, but those guys on the court somehow all of a sudden think they're on the court, right? Like, foul, ref, you didn't see that and catch that? You know, you're a moron, right? They're just yelling out things. Here's the thing. Do you think the team, coaches, players give a rip about what they're saying? They ain't the ref. And, and this is in the same way. I'm going, man, he, he may seem to be important because he had seats the rest of us couldn't afford, but don't listen to him just because of how important he looks. Man, get it from the truth. Get it from the people that are dispensing it to you. The scriptures, God himself. Listen to them. Listen to the refs, not the guy just yelling out. And this is what Paul's teaching us. Add nothing to Jesus. Be a good listener. There's secretly false teachers that will creep in to try to pervert and distort the gospel of grace. Do not follow them. Now, I've had people, just for a moment, because we're going to be talking a lot about grace, no works, no merits, no anything. And I've had people get scared when, over my years, when I preach grace. Because here's how it kind of goes. It's, um, they think, well, well, people are now going to think you can do whatever you want. I mean... Like you're preaching grace. So, I mean, can't you bring in hell a little more? Damnation. Like, can't you just warn them so then they'll do what you want them to do so then they'll fly straight? Especially when we were in college and student ministry, man, I had so many parents. Man, can't, can't you just like strike fear in my kids a little bit more? Man, can't you just do like seven years on hell? And I'm going, well, we talk about hell. Man, we are not apologetic. We talk about judgment and sin and, and all of these things. But listen, um, Hear me. A true Christian cannot abuse the grace of Jesus Christ. Like, I'm not worried about that. Like, just know that as your pastor. Like, I, I'm not, when I talk about hell or doctrines, or man, I'm not trying to like instill fear in someone, man. I, I know that grace alone is what compels you. You don't scare anyone into heaven. Man, man, it's the, the radical, scandalous kindness of God in the gospel that creates a heart that would possibly love this other life, this salvation, this forgiveness of sin. And, and here's what's amazing. Even Paul says in Romans 6, man, I, I couldn't possibly have the testimony of the Spirit of God. I couldn't just abuse grace by no means. Why would I do that? That's why, man, if you are living in open rebellion, you are not believing the gospel of grace. It doesn't have to do with you haven't been scared enough. 
It's you don't get grace. You don't get unmerited, unsolicited, God coming after you in your worst moment and making you spotless, blameless, and above reproach before him. That's what you don't get. I mean, wrath towards you in your sin, yes, and grace absorbing and appeasing all of that. Like, you haven't thought about that. You haven't considered that because the Holy Spirit of God in us attests to that. I mean, listen, for those of you that know the grace and the cross of Jesus Christ, I mean, you really get it. Could you honestly tell me? You could just leave here and be like, cool, man, I get to do whatever I want now. Really? Then you haven't heard the gospel. (laughs) Then you aren't listening. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to try to track you down. This grace needs to be preached and heralded and celebrated because Listen, the reason I find few walk in the joy that Christ creates is because you don't continually go back to him in this grace, in the gospel. You immediately revert to your moralism. Immediately. That's why joy isn't created. And let me, let me flesh this out for you for just a minute. Um, the law, did you know that it'll never heal you? And here's what's interesting. Um, we're also all contend we don't go to God because we think he's a God who's perpetually disappointed in us. So whether that's background, whether that's environment, whether that's an earthly father you had, you think, man, in my worst moment, I'm such a failure, you'd rather revert to self-pity and I'll try to do some good works to earn his merit and favor instead of going back to grace that heals you, that says, man, at your worst, I saved you, and it inflames your heart for love for his name, love for holiness, love for putting your sin to death because you're once again going back to the grace that saved you and bought you. So here's the thing. So many of us at your worst moment of such a failure, you push into the law and not to the gospel. You push into moralism and not grace. And you know, the more you do that, the more dead your heart will get, the more apathetic you'll be, the more frustrated and exhausted you'll become. That's why the gospel of grace, Paul is saying, is not something you move on to. You keep coming back to it. Jesus heals you, not your moralism. Like Jesus Christ in his work, saving you, adopting you, making you new is actually what puts you on the pathway to newness of life. And so many of us, our instantaneous revert is, okay, I'm just going to do something. And we don't even give Jesus a second thought or the gospel a second thought. No, let me show him why I deserve to stay here. So look at my Bible reading this week. My church tenants notched up and you don't realize you're adding to Jesus. You're adding to his work. You're abusing his grace in just a different way. And your pride and self-exaltation, it might not be an outward blatant sin, but both are dangerous. And Paul's going, man, I want you to stay tethered to grace and the gospel. I mean, when a good father takes delight in his kids, they don't say, I'm not sure if I can approach dad today because he's probably constantly regretting having me. No good father is that let alone our perfect heavenly father. Man, some of you guys need to seriously re-understand. He's going to get into chapter four. This is why he's going to say we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. He's not regretting saving you. He's not disappointed. He wants you to come back to his throne of grace. He wants you to see again his son slaughtered for you and dying and rising and being in your place for your sin in full. Knowing that there's nothing you could do to earn it even if you tried. He wants you to constantly crawl back there to compel you to a holy life. This is why Romans 2, man, I thought it was my kindness that would lead to repentance. I thought it was how kind I was that would lead you to a life that repents and turns from sin. I love this because the reality is when you do this, friends, when you turn back to the gospel, not to the law, not to moralism, and not to your behavior, in those moments of weakness and those moments of failure, when you lean and turn back into that, here's what that does. It actually drives you deeper into the heart of Christ because you're seeing his commands as beautiful and not burdensome, and you're seeing that he's not trying to rob you but give generously to you. He's trying to lead you into life with his commands because you know the pathway is right. This is why he says this in verse 7. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel, this is 
the apostles. To the uncircumcised, that's the Gentiles, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas, that's Peter and John, who seemed to be pillars, this is Ephesians 2 language, perceived that grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. I love it. Paul says, Jews need Jesus and non-Jews need Jesus. And here's why this matters. Peter's out sharing his faith with predominantly Jewish people. Paul's out here predominantly sharing his faith with Gentile people. The forms might look different. The gospel's unchanging. Peter, you're out here with Jewish people? Okay. You might, you don't have to totally push aside those dietary laws and those different things. Enjoy doing those things with them, but it's still Christ alone, faith alone. You don't have to totally eradicate those things. They can remind you of who Christ is and what Christ has done. And, and you over here with Titus, you know, pork-loving, uncircumcised, Jesus-loving follower of Christ, man, you, you don't have to push him into these laws and these dietary things and these traditions, man. He's safe through grace alone and faith alone. And let's continue walking in grace. But there's friendship here. There's, there's amazing unity here because Paul says God was at work in both. So the issue isn't, do you start out as a Jew or a Gentile? The issue is, do you end up loving, serving, worshiping, following Jesus? So the issue is not, oh, what background are you from? Hey, what tribe are you from? Hey, what culture are you from? Hey, what skin color are you? No, the, the result is, the celebration is, at the end of the day, do you end up loving, following, worshiping, adoring, serving Jesus? That's what brings us together. That's what unifies our name. That's what makes us one. It's an amazing message of the gospel. And this is, this is why, man, you'll hear all the time, Christianity, they just, they don't get, a, get to get along. They don't agree on anything. They're just fragmented, right? And in many senses, we know what they're saying, right? I don't know. Some use ESV. Some use King James. Some wear robes. Some don't wear robes. Some pastors wear suits. Some just wear ties. Super and spiritual ones wear jeans. I don't know. They're all kind of like all over this place, right? I just don't know. I mean, some wear, sing out of hymnals. Some don't sing out of hymnals. Some come to get communion. Some sit and take communion. Some it's a cracker. Some it's a wafer. Some play drums. Some don't play drums. Some believe in this. They don't agree on anything, right? They're missing it. They're missing it. Maybe some of us are missing it. We're not unified on the way we do church. We're unified on the person and work of Jesus Christ. So if you talk to a true child of God and you say, do you believe in that Jesus is God? And that we're all deserving rightfully of eternal damnation and our belittlement of his glory and name was taken by Jesus who came and lived a perfectly spotless, righteous life for us in our place and that he died according to the scriptures for three days stayed buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And that it's only through his imputed righteous life and wrath absorbing death for all who would trust in his person to work in that way who are reconciled to God and declared righteous before him, not through works, merits, traditions, sacrifices, appeasements. Um, they'd all raise their hand and say, yeah, Amen. We agree in that. We believe that. We're for that. I'm not saying that, that methods and forms could not lead to dangerous places. But I'm saying we need to be very, very careful that we remember what unifies us. And we don't become like the Judaizers where culture begins to so seep in where what we've experienced or what we've known becomes higher than the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ invading every last thing that we are. And this takes wisdom, this takes prayer, this takes work. But I love that he shows us this. This is why in verse 9, I love it, verse 9. What do you see in verse 9? Friendship. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. I love it. Okay, Paul, God's called you to go work among the non-Jews. Cool, man, that's how you operate. Message is unchanging. Un great. Uh, Peter, you've called, been called to go do this. Great. Unchanging. Great. Right hand of fellowship. Man, let's do this thing together. Let's not demonize. Let's celebrate Christ and all his centrality and go hard after that and have good, robust discussions over secondary things. I would never say we do not discuss those things with eagerness and tenacity and seriousness, but it will never eclipse the primacy of Christ and his work. 
And that's what Paul is showing us here. That's why, man, we love and celebrate local churches that faithfully teach and preach the true gospel of grace and are a witness for his name. The message is the same. Context might be very different. But we don't compromise the truth. We are flexible on our forms. And this is why I love the last verse. I don't know if you noticed this before in verse 10. It says, Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Here's what this is not. This is not a big humanitarian plea. Even though there's, we're absolutely called to love the poor. This text is not a humanitarian plea. What had happened was when Jesus Christ rose and ascended, Peter gets up, right, preaches this firestorm sermon, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Thousands of Jews turn to faith in Christ. What happens is immediately, man, they're cut off from their families, some of them their jobs, because they're believing Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is Lord, Jesus saves, Jesus delivers, well, Jesus forgives us of sin, and so they can't go back to their homes. Meanwhile, a massive famine comes in and other events come in, and so, man, they're homeless in need of help. And here's the issue. The issue is, well, we've got Jewish Christian churches over here, and we've got Gentile Christian churches over here, and Paul says, no, they're Christians. Paul says, no, they're our brothers and sisters. They're not Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. No, they're, they're in Christ. So the issue became we should help them and send help because they need us, not because they're of a different tribe in the Christian church. If they're faithful to Christ and faithful to his message, let's be careful what we distinguish. And this is what I love is Paul says, I was eager to do that. Eager. His mind expanded from singular local church to the global expression. It was natural for him. This is why we put a kindergarten in the Philippines with local church pastors that are faithful to the gospel. Less than 2% of the world is ultra poor. This is why we love supporting the Acts 29 network, the most global diverse network that's in emerging regions in the Middle East, planting sound, faithfully proclaiming truths of the gospel of grace. This is why we love supporting Pastor Wilson through prayer and finances. We're doing, man, Galatians 2.10. Man, we're eager. Man, you need help? You need a truck? We're going to support your truck. We bought him a truck last week. Man, you need, you need prayer. And this way we pray in corporate prayer for those things. And on Sunday morning, man, you need, you need this assistance. You need this encouragement. He's planted seven churches. Doing a faith work. This is why, by God's grace, we hope in the next month or two, we'll adopt a Pakistani brother who's faithful in preaching the true gospel of grace in Pakistan who needs help, and needs funds, needs money, needs prayer. Why? Because there are brothers and sisters there, and we also do it because more brothers and sisters might be there through the faithful preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. So we're eager to do that because we realize it's not just our thing. It's not a Pakistani church, Indian church, American church, European church. It's the church. Brothers and sisters bought by Jesus by scandalous grace, and we continually celebrate him. And I just want to end with one point. Isn't it interesting here that the council gets together, this grace, it's amazing. Christ alone, faith alone. It's amazing. This freedom in Christ, this, this work of Jesus, isn't it interesting that after all is said and done, Paul goes, I'm eager. I'm eager. See, he didn't have to be persuaded because he understood grace. He's eager. And I know I don't, I don't have to persuade you to love your neighbor if you understand grace. I, I don't have to persuade you to be generous with your time, talents, and treasures if you understand grace. I don't have to persuade you to pray. I don't have to persuade you to, to love someone in the church. I don't have to persuade you to, you know, begin going after other brothers and sisters to learn how they study the word. I don't have to persuade you for any of those things if you understand grace. I don't have to persuade you to show up. <laughs> how awful would that be? Hey, guys, man, just a reminder, you better be here next Sunday. We're going to have cotton candy and popcorn, and we're going to giveaways, and, man, whatever it can take to bring you back. No, grace wins your heart. The truth wins your heart. The gospel wins your heart. This church has been built on the truth. That's it. Man, the reason people are still coming is because of the truth. You can have other ideas or thoughts, man. The truth is just going out. 
I love talking a conversation after conversation with so many of you, man. I was hungry for the truth. I wanted to hear what God had to say. I wanted to hear about the proclamation of the gospel. Man, I, I'm discovering the first time I met a girl in a coffee shop who came here last week for the first time saying, re-listening to the sermon because she had never been taught false gospels. Never even heard of that. I mean, you want to celebrate something, you should celebrate that. You should be thankful of what God's doing, thankful of how God's moving, because we don't need to persuade or push anybody. We just simply preach and proclaim the grace that frees, the grace that liberates, the grace that takes slaves to sin and makes them alive and free in Christ. Let's ask God for help to do that with all of his energy. I don't know where you fall on this spectrum. A lot of things God said, a lot of things God wanted to reveal and Lord God, before anything else, if there are any here visiting who don't know you, I pray they would not feel compelled to give. They would not feel compelled to take communion. They'd not feel compelled to do anything but put their faith and trust in Jesus for forgiveness of their sin. I pray there wouldn't even be an inkling of trying to get themselves more ready, but they'd see your person at work in all of its glory and all of its scandal in such a way that it would open up their heart and mind to see the beauty of Christ and that you would rescue them in love and adopt them into your family. They turn from sin and turn from the ways they have worshiped all that you've made instead of yourself. The ways they've elevated your creation above the creator. And Father, would you rescue them? Would you see them the, show them the righteousness of Christ and his wrath-absorbing death that is freely given so it can never be earned. Might they trust in your name and your work. God, are those of us that find ourselves pushing into moralism in moments of failure and for freedom, not realizing that brings further enslavement, would you help us to go back once again to the great gospel of Jesus Christ? Might you preserve that in us? Might we understand it? Even these things that, that we're reading, help us to even understand it. Even the, these songs, the things that we're going to say, help us to believe these things that we're about to say. I pray for those that need the right prescription lens on their face to see the gospel of grace clearly in all of its perfection. That God, you give us that. You give us those glasses. Give us that lens. God, forgive us for our backgrounds that pollute the purity of your son's work. Forgive us for the, the ways our hearts have proclivities that are not in agreement with what you would have for us. Help us to even know what those things are and what they look like. Help us to be a people that love to seek your face and love to be holy and love to pray and love to pursue the word and love to gather together. And God, only you could produce that. Only your truth could produce that. So continue to do that. Continue to do the good work you've started. Thank you for that being the wonderful news of grace. And as we come to the table, Lord, might we be nourished remembering that it was your body broken, your blood that was shed, and no part of us at all, that nothing is on this table but Christ. That you nourish us in special ways, remembering that it's through grace alone and faith alone by Christ alone. God, I pray that some of us, if necessary, wouldn't even come to the table. They might see the ways they're abusing grace and might consider their salvation they might consider if they even understand grace by your mercy and that mercy might once again grab a hold of their heart and bring them to a saving knowledge of your son. Father, thank you that we are free in Christ in the highest sense, not free to do what we want, free to chase and pursue and live as you have intended. And for that is the greatest place to be. Help us to believe that and do that with your help in Jesus' name, amen.